you just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I, and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. And we lied to them during recruiting or we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Is we want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now that's also a second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> Winning the SEC probably is harder than winning the national championship. Do you know that? Well, how about the fucking dogs? <laughs> hey, buddy, this beer's for you, Mike, and cousin Shane. That SEC podcast loves the pirate, and the pirate loves that SEC podcast. Hail State. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bredden. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. How about that intro there from the Pirate, buddy? <laughs> hey, buddy, we love the Pirate too, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that just made our day. And, you know, it's kind of funny that uh, when we first got this message, you put it perfectly. Tell the listeners what you said about Mike Leach now being in the SEC. Mike, I said, it's like we willed this to existence, man. (laughs) I mean, think about it. Think about how long we have been talking about the Pirate coming to the SEC. Now, we've had him coach several different programs. We didn't know where exactly he was going to (laughs) land, but we were hoping that he would have eventually give the sec a shot uh and he's done it he's here and he he christened the show man i've listened to that that audio clip probably about 50 times it's now my ringtone so if you call me it's the mike leach telling him that he loves us so uh that that made my day man well between mike leach and arkansas seemingly tweeting out every comment i got about them on their official account (laughs) We're feeling the loves. We appreciate it there from Coach Leach and Arkansas. But, hey, before we go around the league, wanted to make this quick note. This just was announced here on Thursday, but uh, the NCAA has approved a six-week training period. We always have the month-long camp, training camp, fall camp, whatever you Mm -hmm. refer to it as, leading up to the season. But the NCAA has allowed the coaches extra two weeks to work with their players going into the season. And this is going to be time where they're actually going to get to coach the players. And my understanding is that it's going to be, you know, the first two weeks of it, you can't wear pads. We're not trying to wear out the players. But what it is is, you know, implementing the system, uh, seven-on-seven work and things of that nature, just so that uh, you can get the young guys up to speed, kind of work Mm -hmm. off the rust, coming out of the gym, getting ready for fall camp. And it's just yet another sign that, uh, you know, we're full steam ahead. College football is going to happen, thank goodness. Uh, but I think that was the right move to – you got to take a little bit of extra steps to to make – just make sure the players are, you know, know what they're doing. And if nothing else, it's a safety thing, you know? Absolutely. And, and since we're also making notes – you could clearly hear Dr. Fossey out here is mowing his lawn next door. Uh, we're doing some remodeling. So I'm out of the pod room 
And unfortunately, there's going to be some background noise here in my living room. Uh, I picked the day that they decided to mow. So, Mike, I, I think just like Leach, we're going to keep willing this thing to existence. I didn't like all the news I heard today. Um, you know, you heard Dr. What's-His-Name, the one I just made a fun of, but uh, he came out and uh, he, he said, and I'm not making light of corona or COVID, obviously, you guys know me, but saying that uh, there's a good chance we may not have football. I mean, do you see this thing losing any steam? Because it, it feels to me – uh, like the wheels are, are already going here. And once this gets moving, I don't, I don't think they can stop it, man. Well, it's kind of like we, you know, talked about on a recent episode with, you know, the Alabama players. I think we were the first one to test positive for this. And it was kind of the same deal that I said there. You know, don't freak out. This was bound to happen because you got players from all across the country coming to campus and you don't know where they've been. You don't know, you know, they've not been tested regularly. Now that they're on campus and in a structured environment, you know, obviously you don't want anyone to test positive for this thing, but now's the time to do it. And with the contact tracing, with the research and time and effort they're putting in to make sure everything is clean and sterile at the facility and keeping players isolated when they are testing positive or feared of testing positive, I think they're going about it the right way. And I'd be much more concerned if, and this is kind of like something else I said. You know, we got five players at Alabama. I feel like that was two weeks ago we talked about that. If we were here today and they said, oh, my mm-hmm. God, we're up to 20, we're up to right. 40, you know, then you're talking about a red flag because to me that says they don't know what they're doing. They got no control over it. But I've not heard any of that. So I think what it is is they're catching it early. You know, once these players come back to campus, they're getting it under control and – you know, I think it's going to be a, a day-by-day thing where, we're, you know, obviously we've never had to deal with this. So we're all learning on the fly, but mm-hmm. I'm not seeing where this is like we've gone from one to two cases to 20 over here. You know what I mean? So right. I don't know. I'm still happy with where we're at right now. I'm with you, man. And, and I think it's not going to be a problem with the SEC. It does worry me a little bit about the smaller universities not knowing, you know, if it's one thing, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, all these teams are going to be able to isolate their players, you know, make sure that they have all the medical attention that they need, uh, the nutrition. But there are a lot of colleges out there that that don't, that probably won't have that. So I, I'm not trying to play negative Nelly. In fact, I'm going to stop talking about it after this because I think – one way or the other, we're going to have SEC football, mm-hmm. and 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 there's there dude there's there may be a chance, I mean that there's other divisions that are not going to be able to go, and I think the SEC is going to work around them, don't you? Yeah, I think that that's a last resort. But how about this? You just you know this just came into my mind, but um, because you you make a good point, a lot of these other universities at uh, you know the lower levels may not have the money for you know constant tests and everything like that. So I could see, like, just for example, Florida is playing Eastern Washington to open the season. Mm-hmm. I could see, you know, two, three weeks out before that opener, Florida just says to hell, we'll just pay for all your tests, Eastern Washington, <laughs> for the next two to three weeks because yeah. that's ensuring that the Gators are not going to be playing a, a team full of, you know, infected people. You know what I mean? So right. I wouldn't throw that out either. Yeah, that's true. As long as they don't wear those masks. You see those, those... – 
those new masks that that's floating around stadium put out. It looks like a halo mask. <laughs> hey, w- one way or another, if that's the last resort, uh, I mean, it's going to be goofy as hell, but I'll take it. It's going to happen. We've got to get college football one way or the other, Mike. <laughs> All right, so you re- enough about all that. You ready to go around the league? Yeah, buddy. Now let's go now around, let's the go around the league. Uh, my my daughters said something about me wearing a visor and need to put on a hat because I'm getting bald. So, uh, <laughs> so I'm gonna wear a hat from here on out. I mean, if you look over the next six years, I think we played Miami three times, Florida State six times, South Florida three times, Mississippi State once. So who's the SEC teams? You know, I mean, I don't think I think it's an injustice for the kids. They should, we should mix those games up, and you should, um, you know, play more teams from the West. Why don't you start calling around and see if you can get somebody else to play us, and we'll play them. We'll play anybody you can get to play us. In Louisiana, hold on a second. Hey guys, hey, I'm having a press conference, okay? Thank you. All right, so we got to start here. We just must start because we've never had feedback like this on, you know, we need us some Mizzou. We've never had anyone <laughs> clamoring for a school quite like this. And, again, it's not because we're anti-Mizzou or anything, but, hell, there's just not been a lot of news out there. But we finally got something. We got some good stuff from Coach Drinkowitz. So we're going to start here in Columbia where Coach Drinkowitz, if anybody missed it, well, we ought to, uh, it's been all over Twitter. We've tweeted it out, but maybe we'll share it again here after this episode lands. But uh, Eli Drinkowitz was spotted wearing a Andy Reid-style Missouri T-shirt. I mean, it's fantastic. It's like the fat guy Hawaiian T-shirt. You know, Absolutely. I've got plenty of those in my closet. But uh, not to say Drinkowitz needs to lose weight, but he it's that style to be sure. So mm-hmm. that's something... Drinkowitz talked about really showed his personality here in this most recent media availability. He was also asked about uh, the Missouri quarterback competition. Just kind of give some insight into where, heck, even these first-year programs. I mean, this is going to give you some insight into, in our last episode, Lane Kiffin kind of saying the same things. We don't know what we have. That's why Mm -hmm. getting this NCAA six-week training period is so huge. So uh, Coach Drinkowitz talks about that. And, hell, he even talked about taking the ass off the wall here. And then, uh, of course, Missouri fans, you're probably going to be interested or wanting to know, you know, what is the recruiting strategy under Coach Drinkowitz? Because while Missouri had a lot of success in the Big 12 when they were, you know, reaching down into Texas, and then they jump into the SEC and they kind of abandon that plan, what's the plan under Coach Drinkowitz? Because that's going to be, you know, very important to the success of his program. So let's kick it over to uh, Coach Drinkwitz. Shirt today, that's pretty good. <laughs> I'd like to give a shout out to Andy Reid with the very <laughs> themed Hawaiian shirt that I think uh, hopefully has as much good luck for us as it did them. Love the shirt, Coach. I uh, want to start off, talk a little football with you, if that's okay. Um, Got to ask about the, the quarterback situation here going into this year. Connor Bazelak coming off a knee injury, and then Sean Robinson transfer from TCU. Just kind of assess those two guys, kind of what you've seen from them so far and what you see from them going forward. Well, there's five quarterbacks involved in the the quarterback race. Uh, we got Sean Robinson. We got Taylor Powell. We got Connor Bazelak. We got Brady Cook. And we have uh, Jack Samsel. We're excited about what each one brings to the table. I've uh, not seen Connor 
uh, do anything full speed or live. He, he was recovering from his ACL uh, tear in the spring. Um, so not sure where, where he's at. I mean, I've been told he's full, but got no evidence of that. Um, you know, Sean, I thought in this three practices did fine. Um, Taylor Powell in three practices did fine. Brady Cook looked like a kid who should have been going to, you know, graduation. Um, which is absolutely normal and, and expected. And and Jack was learning the offense too. So th that to me is probably the biggest question mark on our football team right now. And not a lot of answers for you on June 17th. Happy birthday, Anna Drinkwitz, uh, my sister today. But um, uh, not a lot of answers for you there and won't have any until I we get our hands on them and do things, which hopefully starts August 6th, you know, being able to do some live stuff where I can see him actually uh, compete for the job. That's all I got for you. My shirt's better than that answer. I know. the The biggest question is, is uh, I don't necessarily know if it's based on the the player, but it's do you because of the limited practice go more to a quarterback run game offense and in more of a you know quarterback yeah run game extra number in the hat maybe maybe Michael Wilson a quarterback some in Wildcat or Jalen Knox in Wildcat just to try to create an extra number because that's the stuff that's easier to do without. Uh, excessive practice and execution, or do you try to stick to what the what you've done in the past? I think for us, that's that's a question that the offensive staff has to answer, and we we got to figure that out. Um, I don't think there's an easy answer on that because the pass game involves timing and execution. Um, our offense, you know, offense by football by nature is timing and execution, and do we have enough time uh, to to put together a product that's going to be successful? Uh, in, in a limited number of, of 25 practices for fall camp. I don't know. And that that is not necessarily fair uh, to the quarterback room, but life's not fair. And so we, we've got to uh, – Mizzou, our goal is to win the SEC East. And so whatever it's going to take to win those football games is what we have to do as an organization. And I don't know. I think you're on to the right question, though, because that is the question that I that keeps me up at night and – yeah, that's the question that keeps me up at night, uh, what we're doing. I don't know if you'll noticed I moved my screen uh, on our head coach's call. Commissioner Sankey noticed that the first word on that last line said ass, so I had to move it so it would actually say class, so it's not distracting. Noticed I had made that mistake again. So uh, I don't know. Again, I'm not a doctor. I've been staying at my house, not nearly as much as many holiday ends. I've lost all my holiday end points. So my intelligence level has gone down. As, as a totally unrelated one, but while I'm unmuted, uh, from a football standpoint, can you tell me, uh, this one will be easier, right? Uh, can you tell me uh, what your, your recruiting philosophy is? We've heard at Mizzou, we know, you know, when they were in the Big 12, it was a big focus to get down into Texas. When the move came to the SEC, they immediately – tried to uproot and go into the Southeast, Florida, Georgia, South Carolina. Uh, then there seemed to be a shift back. Uh, no, we got to get back into Texas. We got to get back to our roots. What's your just overall philosophy about where it is? I know everybody wants to fence in the local kids and it starts there, but when you expand out, how do you expand out from beyond Missouri? Um, yeah, I, I think the easiest question, the easiest way to answer that question is the fact that there is not an identity in the recruiting in Mizzou is what makes us have to become very – uh, matter of fact of where we recruit. And as always, it starts within our state. We have two large metropolitan areas, and then we have rural Missouri, and we have to identify any good player that we feel like can help us win the SEC East. Um, and then outside of that, we, we take about a 450-mile circle and draw a circle and say, okay, who in those guys uh, can play? I mean, there was a study done 
Uh, we have four schools within 450 miles that are the top 20 of NFL producers, okay, NFL producing high schools. And so we know those schools. Uh, we make sure we, we attack those schools. Um, and then you look at the direct flights from Columbia, which is Dallas, Denver, and Chicago. Uh, that makes it an easy, accessible trip. And so we're going to attack uh, that area also um, with direct flights. Obviously, that gets us into that Texas area. Um, we don't want to overextend ourselves. We don't want to get into battles that we may not be able to win down uh, specifically in the southeast. And I, I know I, uh, again, I, I can't tell, you know, where everybody else is going to recruit, but I do think Mizzou has an opportunity to recruit in the Midwest with the SEC logo and be successful. And that's that's the approach that we're going to take. Now, at the same time, we are in the middle of the middle, and I can get to anywhere in the country if there's a connection to Mizzou and the SEC and somebody's lifelong dream is to be a Mizzou Tiger, which is a heck of a dream and awesome, then we will make way for them to recruit. Uh, we, we do have the ability to get to where we need to go, and there is a commitment from our administration to recruit great players wherever we need to. Uh, but for us, it starts with our state, 450 miles, and then the direct flights, and then we'll go from there as needed. All right, so, man, I, the more I hear from this guy, the more I like him. He's got a ton of personality here. Yes, he may look like Andy from The Office, but uh, he's he's a much cooler version of that guy. But uh, what was your main takeaway from uh, everything here Coach Drinkwitz had to say? Well, obviously, Sankey saying get that ass off the wall, <laughs> you know. I, I would just like to have been a fly in that room when that happened. <laughs> Uh, yes. Oh, yeah. I bet he moved that camera real quick. But uh, I, I love this. This shows a little personality from Eli. This is something that we haven't had since he came over. You know, of course, we the running joke was when he messed up and, and forgot what conference he was playing for. You know, that that's the last time that you really heard anything from him. And, you know, out of all the new coaches, if you think about it, Mike, you've got – uh, Sam's come out. It, it just feels like the communities just fell behind him. They they love Sam there. Uh, you you got Lane, a constant man on Feinbaum tweeting out. You've got the the pirate. Hell, he's he's giving shout outs to that SEC podcast. But Eli's been quiet, and I don't think that's what they need. They need more of this. If I'm over media relations. I want to get my coach out there and show that he does have a personality, show that the Missouri can be a fun place to play because I, I, I thought he sounded pretty cool. And after seeing that Hawaiian shirt, I think I, I, I may take him to Vegas. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, and you make a good point because, uh, you know, something that, you know, the casual fan may overlook, but uh, the reality is you got a good relationship with the media. They're going to give you the benefit of the doubt now, obviously, if you do something terrible or your team's garbage, it's not like they're going to just suck up to you. But, yeah. if, you know, if, if, if there's some kind of issue or your team, you know, is fighting and in these games, but you just keep falling short, uh, you know, that could be the, the difference between uh, someone like, you know, Paul Feinbaum back in the day saying, we got to get rid of this guy or keep yeah. just, you know, keep. Keep striving, keep chopping that wood, because this guy is taking us where we need to go. And mm -hmm. uh, it's kind of like you said, I'm just glad that with all the personalities hired in the SEC this offseason, this guy was kind of the most ho-hum. And, it, you know, it was nothing really personal against him. It was just a lack of knowing who this guy was and right. only one year as a head coach and working at some uh, schools as an offensive coordinator that we don't follow here in the SEC. But, my goodness, I'm pretty fired up 
every the more I hear from this guy, and mm-hmm. I, I think he's so far he looks like an outstanding hire here from Missouri. Absolutely, and I love the game plan. I love the recruiting strategy. It made perfect sense. I'm a layman, you know. Uh, there's there may be people that are listening and saying, "Yeah, how how do you recruit to Missouri?" It makes sense what he's doing. Uh, talking about just just nailing down the high schools in that that 450 mile radius. I mean, you think about how much talent he's saying that they were putting in the NFL. If you do that, you protect your borders. You get those the what do you say the direct flight. You know, cities, you know, that's that's what it's all about. You're not going to see him in California uh, with with LSU and Florida, you know, Alabama trying to get some of these players. He's going to focus on what's close to him. And there's plenty of talent close to him to win the East uh, without a doubt. If you can lock down your borders, if you can lock down the areas that are near you, some of those bigger high schools, that's, that's the formula, man. And then you can go, you can build those pipelines to California and build those pipelines to different parts of Texas, you know? Mm -hmm. All right. Next on the list here, let's jump on down to Rocky top. Balls are back. Where Jeremy Pruitt also held a little Zoom media availability here on Thursday, and you know he broke some two tidbits of information here. And the first one, this is something that we had been kind of talking about on a previous episode. But senior running back Tim Jordan no longer on the team, and you know it's not a devastating loss to Tennessee, but you always hate to lose senior leadership. Mm-hmm. So that's something, and Tennessee was over the uh, 85-man scholarship limit. So, you know, you really put yourself in a bad spot here when you get arrested with a handgun and drugs. I'm not saying that had they been under the limit, they would have kept him, but, right. you know, it just kind of forced the action, I think, here. And it's you hate it for the kid. I hope he lands on his feet and, and has a great end to his college career. I hope this isn't the last we hear from him because you'd hate for his career to end like this, but... Uh, that's something Jeremy Pruitt talked about, you know, the, the running back depth there at Tennessee. He was asked specifically about Cade Mays and playing for Jim Chaney. So he already knows the system. So that's kind of, that's an interesting angle there to discuss. Yeah. And then, oh, brother, the return <laughs> of the black jerseys on Rocky Top. Yes, sir. Yeah, and... I tweeted out a video. Do you remember uh, that South Carolina game? Oh yeah, uh, Monterio Hardesty man had one of the one of the greatest runs I've ever seen, and one of the like spin move times ninety nine. And if you have a chance, you you got to watch the Halloween game. I think Lane Kiffin was our coach that year, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was uh, it was a fantastic ball game. South Carolina's ranked. We weren't we weren't supposed to win that thing. We ended up coming out with a victory. So uh, I never thought. I mean, honestly, I never thought we'd have uh, a jersey, uh, an alternate jersey. You know, because it felt like the Grays kind of went away real quick. Right. And uh, but this is what the players want, so this is what the players get, man. Well, let's kick it over to Pruitt to uh, discuss all that stuff, and then we'll uh, kick back to it in here in just a second. Well, we have we have um, plenty of guys that are very capable. Uh, you know, you start with Ty Chandler uh, is a guy that um, has played a lot of ball all here. Eric Gray, uh, you know, um, will be in his second year. Uh, you know, Carlin Films Ames is a guy that um, 
you know, was a, was a running back early on in his career and, uh, we moved him and then, uh, you know, he unfortunately suffered an injury last year, but a guy that has experience, um, you know, and then you got T Hodge and, um, Jabari Smalls and Lenith Whitehead, uh, guys that we signed that are in here and, uh, working, uh, so, uh, we have we have guys there at that position that will get an opportunity, and uh, we have confidence in those guys. Coach, I know the hope is that uh, Kate Mays will be eligible this fall, um, and, and I know in a perfect world you would have had spring practice, but how much does it, I guess, help Cade that even though he wasn't able to have spring practice, he's played under Jim Chaney before, understanding his what he wants out of scheme and concept along the offensive line? Well, I think it, it – probably uh pretty easy for a guy that um you know the same terminology uh, that he was playing under so um it was really a probably would be a seamless transition uh you know so i i think Cade's a smart guy so football's important to him so he spends a lot of time trying to improve as a player and and figuring out a way to be the best player he can possibly be uh, Jeremy, the culture committee you guys put together that T was heading up. What's um, have you guys gotten any more ideas about what what are some of the things you want to campaign for, um, and and use that group to do in the uh, months to come? Well, it's been really good, um, and it's something that uh, T has done a fantastic job heading up and and getting our players involved and getting feedback and and. Once we getting the once he's getting the feedback is us acting upon it, you know. So uh, we're in the process now. We've started today, uh, getting all of our players uh, registered to vote. Uh, you know that that's a start. Uh, there's lots of things when students get back on campus. Speakers that we uh, plan to have come in here. Some things that we want to do. Uh, you know, during the season, one of the things that that uh we want to do is you know when we play the kentucky game is we we want to wear black jerseys uh and and um when the game's over with find a way to uh to to auction the jerseys and raise money and um for black lives matter and 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 you know that's just uh one thing that our kids have talked about uh but it's something that's going to continue to uh, to be stressed within our staff and, and, uh, you know, uh, with T's leadership and the guys within our program, uh, you know, there's lots of really good ideas and ways that we can help improve, uh, and use our platform to create change. All right. So, uh, coach Pruitt there laid it out and, you know, this is an interesting angle because he's, we've seen plenty of coaches and, and teams and whatnot get criticized for, you know, just putting out statements or what have you, just not taking enough action. So this is a very interesting way for Tennessee to show their support of their players. They're doing it in a way where, you know, this is something physical that is not only going to help causes for these players. Now, I think that's another thing that they've set this out so far, you know, why they didn't make it one of the first games. They made it towards the tail end of the season because I'm sure they still got to work out. They got to get it cleared, I'm sure, with the NCAA of, of mm-hmm. auctioning off jerseys and where this money should go. 
but you know, it's got to go to the right causes and, and go to good causes and all that. But mm-hmm. I just think this is a yet another, you know, we saw Jeremy Pruitt with, you know, speaking with his team, marching with his team. We've seen that across the SEC, but right. I think this is another just step in the right direction of showing everyone on your team, getting them. Hell, we've even seen it, you know, at Clemson and Oklahoma State and all these other schools. You could lose your team pretty quick. You know what Absolutely. I mean? So Pruitt is taking the back of his players, and I think this is going to sell on the recruiting trail as well. And then there's plenty of of Tennessee fans that love these black jerseys. So it's almost yeah. like everybody wins as long as they, uh, you know, find the right causes here to, to donate any funds that's generated from this game. I, I'm with you, Mike. And something that you and I've discussed is, well, first off, let me take a step back. I like the idea that they're listening to the players. I mean, think about it. You know, 10 years ago, if a player wanted an alternate jersey or what it, I mean, it was unheard of. There was it wouldn't happen if if the bigs didn't want it. It didn't go through. Now you know I really like what's going on there in Knoxville. It really feels like there's a great chemistry between the coaches and players, and you're not getting that type of situation you had in Clemson or Oklahoma State. You know, mm-hmm. it, it just feels like they're really listening to what these kids uh, are going through, and 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 I would love the idea. Something that you brought up is, well, I'll let you explain. Uh, do the the jerseys. I thought the individual jerseys, I thought that was a fantastic idea. Yeah, so obviously this is going to be the Kentucky game, like Pruitt mentioned there. But I just thought it would be interesting if, you know, you never know who's going to have a huge impact on that game. But let's say it's, mm-hmm. let's say Henry Toa Toa has, you know, five sacks and a forced fumble. And it's, you know, the key play of the game. I can imagine his jersey going for... I mean, who knows what, but let's say $20,000 and, you know, whatever that figure would be, I would let Henry T decide, you know, the charity of his choice to donate that money. I think that'd be a great avenue or, or if it's Mm -hmm. Jared Garantano, what if he throws five touchdowns against Kentucky, you know, in the game winner? I mean, imagine Mm -hmm. how much that Jersey would sell for. So (laughs) let Garantano decide. So I think that would be a really unique way to for Tennessee to uh, continue to support these players let the fans get involved you know let them generate money for good causes and then Mm kind of like you said uh, we're listening to the players listening to you know their thoughts on the subject and yeah let them decide where this money goes and I I think that would be a home run all the way around absolutely man and uh, dude it's it's you know it's a larger scale there's a lot of things going on out there and you know we're me and me and mike aren't politicians me and mike aren't uh corona experts you know we don't we don't get in we, we try to stick to football but but money's involved man and and it starts you know uh, i i heard you and joe uh, the fly in hawaii yesterday on the <laughs> on the podcast talking about florida starting to pay players and things do you think i mean this this thing's expanding, man. Kids are going to have opportunities to help other people. And I love that. I, I hope that this starts a tradition. You remember how, like in the NFL, they had uh, uh, the breast cancer awareness mm-hmm. with the, uh, you know, th- the millions of dollars that they were ever to, to generate for the, the, the fund and, and help who, who knows how many lives, you know? So, um, I love this concept. I'm, I'm a giver, man. I love the fact that charities are involved, and I just hope that 
like you said, by the time that this game's played out, uh, that they've got everything hammered out and, and tried to make, I mean, it's, you're not going to make everybody happy, but, um, I, I can't imagine if you're not giving back to your community, how that could hurt, you know? Yeah. I think you make a good point there because that's kind of, you know, college is a learning lesson and these players certainly have a platform and, you know, it's what, what do you, what are you going to do with that platform? You know what I mean? Like, right. if you can help as many people as possible as you continue to grow and you continue to, to build a brand, you know, that's something. Hell, even Trey Smith, when he committed to Tennessee, said, I came to Tennessee because to, I thought that was the best place for me and the best place to build my brand. And I, I think Pruitt is following uh, the steps to, to help these players do just that. Absolutely. And some of these kids, like you said, the platforms, maybe not as long as others. I mean, not all of them are going to play in the NFL, mm -hmm. but while they're at college, three or four years, if they can help and influence and who knows, reach out to another kid that that's struggling and, you know, not knowing what he wants to do with his life and help him. I mean, there's just so many good things that come from this. I just, I hope that they, I hope that, I don't know. I just hope that it's a, a new trend. Mm -hmm. I, that's, I just think it's a great move for the university, and I fully expect other universities to do something similar. Yeah, well, speaking of that, uh, <laughs> weird transition, but let's jump on down to Tuscaloosa. Roll time! Because another thing Cousin Shane sure does love is these home-in-home <laughs> home schedules. <laughs> yeah. And my God, they just dropped a bomb on us here on Thursday because Alabama has scheduled a home-in-home home with Ohio State. Mm. And it's it's obviously a few years out. Thankfully, it's not 30 years out like we've seen some of these <laughs> games. But in 2027, Alabama is going to travel to Ohio State. 2028, the following year, Ohio State coming to Alabama. But, man, how awesome is this series? And it would be great if we were getting it this year. You know, mm -hmm. for these mm. two fan bases, I hope they're still, you know, some of the best in the nation. But Alabama is really – stepping up to the plate here and, and giving Crimson Tide fans some elite games coming up. Absolutely. You know what makes me sick, Mike? When I get on, uh, like, Winsipedia mm -hmm. and I look at all-time wins and I just see the Buckeyes sitting up there and I see <laughs> the Wolverines sitting up there, sometimes Alabama. I mean, I'm a Tennessee fan, but I just think when you're taking some of the all-time winningest programs and you're pairing them together to play on a national stage, it is a win-win for the viewers. This is a fan. I mean, this is it, man. This. I mean, how many times have you said, "Yeah, I could definitely see Ohio State and Alabama playing in a national championship." I imagine in seven years we're still going to be having that argument. You know, I don't see anything change anytime soon. We may not have Saban. You know, uh, but then again, we may have Saban. We don't know. This is uh, not that far down the road. So I'm looking forward to it, man. This is a fantastic matchup. It's a home and home, not a neutral site. None of that BS. So uh, I I'm all for this, Mike. Yeah, and then once this uh, series was announced, like, it got me thinking, and I looked at uh, the current college football playoff, four-team playoff, obviously. The contract ends 2025, mm -hmm. and I think, listen to some of these games that Alabama's got in 2025 moving forward. So uh, in 2025, Alabama, outside the SEC, obviously, they're going to go to Florida State and host mm -hmm. Wisconsin. Then the, mm. ne the next year at West Virginia, and they host Florida State. 2027, obviously that's the Ohio State game. 
and they also host West Virginia. And then 2028 at Notre Dame, home for Ohio mm-hmm. State. And the only reason <laughs> I reference these, because you're talking two elite, well, not all these teams are elite, but they're two, at least two Power Five programs that Alabama's got on the books in addition to the SEC schedule. Very similar to Georgia. Georgia's loaded up too. Uh, obviously, they got tons of games against Clemson. They've got a series with UCLA, series against Florida State, series against Texas. And they also have Ohio State and Oklahoma on their schedule. So <laughs> Georgia's loading up. But why I, I'm even bringing that up, I think based on the scheduling of Alabama and Georgia, they are looking ahead to that end of that college football playoff contract and saying, mm-hmm. I think this sucker is going to get expanded and we need to have as many marquee games on our schedule that we can have so that, hell, if we drop a game here or there or maybe don't even win the SEC, but we turn around and we beat Notre Dame and Ohio State, you mm-hmm. got to throw us in that 18 playoff. So <laughs> that's just something to think about. I think, aren't you, I, I believe you're a fan of expanding the playoff. I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm not, but I, I think this is encouraging news for you. Absolutely. You talk about willing to existence. This is it, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, so I, I've always wondered, you know, I can understand scheduling a, a, an Ohio State team if that's like the only powerhouse. I've always, I've always got that. But when you schedule two, when you have, I mean, Notre Dame seven years, you never really know what you're going to get. Notre Dame could be nothing, and they could be a powerhouse. So it just, I don't know. I find that interesting because I don't think you need help to get into the playoffs if you run the SEC. You know what I'm saying? Right. I, I, I think you're creating it. I think it's it's harder I mean, you run the SEC and you have one loss. I still think you're in expanded playoffs, maybe even two losses. But now when you pencil in, it's Ohio State, it's Notre Dame, it's West Virginia maybe. You know, it just – I don't know. It just kind of – it muddies the water. And I'm, always, I'm like you, Mike. I always think – I'm always thinking ahead. But I'm thinking like saving, saying, you know what, if I'm going to leave here, I'm going to schedule some tough games – so nobody, so everybody remembers that I'm the man. You know what I'm saying? Is that crazy thinking that way? I do exactly where were you going when you said that. But no, I mean, hell, that ain't that crazy. He want. I think that's the main reason he's still doing it. You know, because he wants to walk away with the most national championships of all time. And I sure as hell bet he don't want the next guy topping him. You know what I mean? So Exactly. Don't give him cupcakes, Mike. <laughs> give him. I, I want him to hold that schedule like Jimbo Fisher did and say, Clemson? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Who scheduled Clemson? <laughs> All right. So uh, next on the docket, speaking of Georgia, let's go down to Athens real quick. Oh, dog, sick him. <laughs> uh, if anybody missed it, uh, this was – I thought it was kind of interesting. You know, Jamie Newman, that's a name, obviously, we talked about all offseason. Not as enthralled with him as a lot of others, but, hell, the more the closer we get to the season, more and more Jamie Newman hype. And the latest hype comes from uh, ESPN SEC Network analyst Greg McElroy was on Extra 1063 out of Atlanta. Man, he was asked, who's a better quarterback here in the matchup Alabama, Georgia, Mac Jones, Jamie Newman. He certainly didn't ride the fence on this one. 
<laughs> let's assume, Greg, that uh, the starting quarterbacks week three between Georgia and Alabama are Mac Jones and Jamie Newman. Which quarterback situ- situation would you rather have? you got Jamie Newman, 18 starts in college football, so more – experience than Mac Jones but he's in a new system or Mac Jones who has you know less overall playing experience but he's coming back in the you know in in the same system uh so more continuity uh I I think Newman's way more talented I mean I I don't think I don't even think it's really I don't even think it's really comparable just given Jamie Newman's upside I mean guys we're talking about top five pick upside here I mean he's that he is that kind of upside he's ridiculous there are some nuance to his game that needs to learn, but just as far as talent is concerned, there's not many out there in college football like him. So uh, he's extremely accurate, big arm, needs to learn how to layer the football a little more. Um, and Mac Jones is a solid player as well, and I thought he performed, like I said, very admirably. But I think part of the reason why everyone will feel real good about him is the fact that he's surrounded by an all-star team in, in a lot of ways. All right, Shane, so uh, say what you want about uh, Greg McElroy, but a lot of people think he's one of the sharpest you know, analysts out there when it comes to college football, and he's saying Jamie Newman, top five draft potential, not even close compared to old Mac Jones. So uh, how surprised were you by these comments uh, about Jamie Newman? Do you think he hates Alabama? Oh, McElroy, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, think he, I think he hates Saban. I, I think he. I think he. I think sometimes he tries a little too hard to show that he's not biased. You know, right? He's he's like the opposite of me. You know, I <laughs> I really try to bottle up my UT love, but it's hard. You know, I just I don't know. Maybe he's just burnt, like you said. Maybe he hates saving because <clears throat> I I don't necessarily agree with him. I don't, I don't think it's substantial. You know what I'm saying? I think I think Newman. Okay. Here's the deal, Mike. I've done a little research on Newman, mm-hmm. and a couple of things that stood out to me uh, watching him play was was his lack of progression. You know, it, it seems to me like he had a tendency to lock into one or two receivers, um, and and when scared, runs. You know, but I think that that's something that he can work on. Uh, obviously he's going to have more talent to throw to. Um, I don't think he's going to have to scramble near as much as he did at Wake Forest because he's got a, a fantastic offensive line. Um, I, I say, you know, I, I think that defense is going to keep him in a lot more games. So I think there's less shootouts. Uh, you, you know, you can watch uh, highlight reels all, all day long, but you know, you're not facing Elon next year. You know what I'm saying? You, mm-hmm. You're, you're going against some sec powerhouse teams. So, I think he is going to add uh, diversity to that offense. You know, I don't think they're going to be so one-dimensional next year. I think they're going to be able to – I think they're still going to be run heavy, but I think with his legs and his ability to scramble, I think – and throw. Because one thing I did notice, he's got a beautiful long ball. You know, he's not not afraid to stretch the field. I I think if the coaches work with him, I think he could be a fantastic asset to the Georgia Bulldogs. But to say that he's a top five pick, to say that he's a Heisman candidate, to say that he's so much better than Mac, you know, Mac Jones is, is, I think, kind of crazy because – 
if you watch what Jones did last year, you know, he was thrown in the mix, man. Uh, you know, he had that little tune-up game. Then he went to Auburn. And you noticed with the Auburn, there was a lot more, re- you know, receiver screens, short passes, things like that. He made a lot of mistakes in the Auburn game that he'd love to have. But he also made a lot of fantastic passes. And if you take it even further, you look at the Michigan bowl game. From, from the Auburn game to the Michigan game was night and day. You saw immediate progression, and, and it wasn't just wide-out screens. It was, you know, it was checkdowns. It was uh, player progression. I mean, I just thought he looked like a better quarterback in that bowl game. And just imagine what he's going to be able to accomplish with the whole offseason, what he's going to be able to accomplish when they get back on campus and start working with the ones, you know. I just think that – I think that he's going to come along further and and shrink the gap between these two quarterbacks. So I I think they're both going to be assets to their team. I, I know that's like, you know, taking the best of both so uh, nobody can hate me. But I really do think that it's going to help Georgia to, to, to change their – just their style of playing. You know, I mean, he really is – can be a threat with his legs. And I like what Jones is going to be able to do because he's still going to have a – he's going to have a shit ton of talent around him. And he's going to have a fantastic offensive line in front of him. He's got every piece that he needs. He doesn't have to run around. He just needs to sit there in that pocket, work on his uh, chemistry with the wide receivers. And I think Alabama's sitting on something special. So I I just – I, I don't think Newman's top five talent right now, but again, who's to say six, seven weeks in that he can't become that, you know, if he, if he builds that chemistry with the, with the Georgia Bulldogs. Well, I really wanted to use this clip because I, you know, I'm trying to look for any positivity here with Jamie Newman, uh, just because I've been kind of tempering expectations all off season. So I don't, I wanted the Bulldog fans to know, you know, how highly regarded Newman is if they didn't know already around the sport and yet Shane turns it into 10 minutes of Mac Jones <laughs> <laughs> no that's not it man I will tell you the, the I mean it just there's a couple things that scared me you know when I watched the the clips uh, the Clemson game mm-hmm. when I watched the Syracuse game the, there was a lot of boneheaded plays that he made there was a lot of times he would just stare down his receivers and you know throw interceptions that he shouldn't have so that worries me because if you watch him, I mean, just watch watch his helmet. His helmet doesn't move that often. But there were some games he was freaking on, man. You know, there, there were some games it's like he couldn't throw a bad pass. There were some games that he, he knew when to tuck it. He knew when to run and when to pass. It's just if, if he's able to build off those great games – uh, and bring it over to the SEC, yes, I, I'm telling you, man, it, Georgia's going to look night and day from what they did last year. But if he doesn't, then I, I, I can't imagine him keeping his job by the end of the year. If he plays like he did against Clemson and, and, and uh, Syracuse, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think if JT Daniels is eligible – I continue to say I, I really like his ceiling. So, you know, something to watch there. Georgia all of a sudden went from no quarterbacks to maybe the two <laughs> best in the NFL draft, according to some people. Yeah. I mean, it, we're going to find out, Mike. And and that's the thing. Georgia's schedule ramps up real quick. And they can lose 
a game. They can afford to. I mean, uh, but they can't afford to lose two. You know, that's obviously something that we've seen in the past. So just, I don't know. I, 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 they can't be conservative like they were last year because if they do, when they play teams like Alabama, when they play teams that, that are just as good as they are, you know, they're not going to be able to s- separate at all. they they got to work on it against the shitty teams so that they're prepared when they play the great teams, you know? Mm-hmm. All right, last thing around the league I've got. Let's jump on down to Fayetteville. Woo pig! Where not – Huge news, but I just wanted to make this note because I think it's very important. But Arkansas did land a commitment from three-star offensive lineman Devin Manuel. I believe he's out of Louisiana. But it's not so much the commitment of Manuel that I really wanted to, to hit on. He is six foot eight, three hundred pounds. <laughs> That's kind of what I wanted to hit on. And then you look at the other two offensive linemen currently committed to Arkansas. Terry Wells, he's six foot four, three hundred and five, and then you got six foot five Cole Carson. He's also over three hundred pounds. Damn. And this is what Arkansas fans wanted when they get Sam Pittman. The Hogs. Offensive line coach Brad Davis. I think they're doing a hell of a job. You know, that's the biggest, you know, there's there's several positions that need to be retooled there in Fayetteville, but offensive line is the key. That's the one where you're expecting it to be the most improved with Sam Pittman as your head coach. And I know it's early. And also, I should say, Razorbacks got a top 25 recruiting class right now, which is pretty impressive coming off two winless SEC seasons. Arkansas rebuilding that offensive line under Sam Pittman, Brad Davis. I think they're uh, well on their way to fixing that unit and, of course, we all know offensive line, that's a developmental position, so it's not like they're going to just sign these guys and roll them out there and be all SEC caliber. But right. you just can't play at this level if you don't got the body. Sam Pittman's a big believer in that. And, my goodness, he's getting some some big old war daddies down there in Fayetteville. <laughs> so I'm pretty impressed yes. by that. These boys got some frame on them, Mike. What did you say, 6'8", 300? Yes, sir. So they're, they, the shortest one is 6'4". That's what you think about that, Mike. Six, eight, three hundred pounds, and he still has a season of football left. <laughs> Could you imagine lining up against this bastard? I mean, I always, I tell you, Mike. Quick, quick story. This is what you do, man. When you're playing, when you're playing high school ball, and and, and you're watching your film studies and all that stuff, you're always looking at the guy you're going to be going against. You know, mm-hmm. you try to size him up. You know, and I'll never forget we were playing one school and. And I'm looking down there, and and there's just this. They were all average, you know. Six, uh, the tallest one, six one, six two, something like that, you know. But they're all about the same height. But one boy, and this guy is like six six, just an absolute giant. And I'm like, well, as long as he ain't playing center, we're fine. And guess where he lined up? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I about pulled a cramp, sat that one out, Mike. <laughs> Needless to say, I got a bad score that week. (laughs) Exactly. That's what Sam Pittman's looking for in Fayetteville to rebuild, retool that offensive line. And I think he's doing a good job doing it. But that's all I got on this one. You got anything else before we hop off here? Uh, No, Mike. Good talking to you. I appreciate the flying Hawaiian sitting in last earlier this week. Uh, Glad you're back from Portland. You made it safe. 
I think we have a review here. I got a review. Uh-oh. This one comes from Peyton J. Wills. Great show and funny show. Five star. Great show from a Tennessee and Florida homer. <laughs> well, you know, it ain't me, Mike. I, I, that, is, are you Florida homer? Half of them got you blocked, but anyway. let me. No, I think I, he's I, talking about Cousin Joe there. Oh, Cousin Joe? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Cousin Joe. That's a good one. Uh, I like how they go around the league and talk about all the SEC teams. I can't wait till Jacksonville for Mike to eat his words and the Florida hot train is put to bed. Go dogs. Well, Peyton J. Wills, I appreciate you. Yeah, we appreciate that one, uh, Peyton J. Wills. I really do. And we appreciate all the reviews. So that's why we read them out. You can, as you can tell by that review, you can write anything you want. We'll read it on the air. Even uh, as long as it's a five-star written review, we're happy to read them on the show. And also a minor announcement here. If anyone's interested, reach out to us either on Twitter or, you know, I got the, the email set up at uh, that sec podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we've actually got t-shirts now. So oh yes, yeah, so if you want a t-shirt, reach out to me. We're not trying to, you know, make a ton of money off you guys here. I'll, we can sell them to you at, at cost because it's not it doesn't cost us any money to make them. So <laughs> uh, reach out to us if you want a T-shirt, you want to support the pod. That's a that's a great way to do it. So yeah, pretty exciting stuff. Getting ready for this season, we're get, we're trying to be a little bit more professional here. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I would. Have you got any uh, a- access to that digital SEC media day, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, we'll find out uh, in the coming days and weeks here. But uh, to my knowledge, they've not sent out anything in regards to that yet. So they always send me the inv- invitation to the actual event. So I assume I'm on the uh, the virtual invite list. I bet you ain't a laptop in Tuscaloosa, buddy. <laughs> I bet you the Walmarts are sold out down there. Them boys are ready. They're going to have the geek squad out front, man. <laughs> That's all I got, Mike. I appreciate everybody hanging out with us, and uh, we'll be back on next week, Mike. Absolutely. All right. So thanks for joining me, Cousin Shane. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you, guys. Go Vols. is going on in the background can you hear it real well yep sounds like she's uh, next to the mic <laughs> <laughs> uh, i'm about to go over there and finish it for her real quick <laughs> say listen listen you go inside i'll take care of the rest of this i'll do it right after our podcast okay we're just gonna go with it mike apparently they're mowing again <laughs> Getting a double mow in today, Mike, so they ain't got to do it next week. <laughs>